You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about The Who with My Generation. In the room, I have Ben. Woo! And I have Charles. Woo! My Generation is the debut studio album by the English rock band The Who, released on the 3rd of December 1965 on Brunswick Records in the UK and Decca Records in the United States. As The Who sings My Generation on in April of 1966 with a different cover and slightly altered track listing. The producer is Shel Tamley, and the genre is rock or pop. After changing their name from The Detours to The Who to The High Numbers, and finally back to The Who, these young, energetic band of misfits had been tearing up the local club scene in 1964, wildly playing blues and rock standards dubbed Maximum (laughs) R&B. But they initially struggled to find sure footing as their management and record label seemed to want to push the band into mod culture and Beatles-esque marketability. But something clicked in lead guitarist Pete Townshed, and he started writing original material, and the band took hold of personality all its own. All music Richie Unterberg says, My generation is an explosive debut and the hardest mod pop recording by anyone at the time of its release. It also had the most fiercely powerful guitars and drums yet captured on a rock record. Pete Townshed's exhilarating chord crunches and guitar distortions threatened to leap off the grooves of my generation and out in the streets. Keith Moon attacks the drums with a lightning, ruthless finesse throughout the album. The instrumental mayhem of The Ox was pushing the envelope of 1965 amplification with its guitar feedback and nonstop crash drum rolls. While the execution was sometimes crude and the songwriting not as sophi- sophisticated as it would shortly become, the Who never surpassed the pure energy level of this record. What did we think of the Who? My generation. You fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> you really have to ask that? Uh, Charles, what do you think? Oh man, what a breath of fresh air this <laughs> album was. Like, you have the birds and the beetles, and they're very similar, man. And then the Who came out, and it's just like a baseball bat to the face. <laughs> it's so good, so much good rock and roll. Like it's just, it's different. But you had, it's more heavily that blues influence. You know, they're just playing good rock and roll, and it's all original. It's something we've never heard before. Um, yeah, I just, this is one of my favorite ones to listen to. This um, as we were preparing for this pod- podcast. As a longtime fan of The Who, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that this is actually the first time I've listened to this album from start to finish. It is. <laughs> what, what was your album that you did listen to start and finish with them? Oh, a lot of them, but I, like, I... I Where did you start? Time. I start my album rock, like, other than, like, uh, like just, like, knowing the greatest hits. Mm-hmm. 
Album rock. Uh, who's next? Mm-hmm. Ooh, mine was Tommy growing up. Yeah, who's next? And like, I, I I've always liked '60s Who, but '70s Who has always kind of been my Who. And uh, I was really excited to listen to this one. And I had so many times I'd heard them referred to, and I'd heard them refer to themselves as Maximum R and B, Maximum Rhythm and Blues. And I'd never really thought it was a wrong depiction, but I'd never really seen the connection so much than in this first record, where, yeah, sure, yeah, they're they're covering Muddy Waters, they're covering uh, James Brown, there's that R&B influence, but even in the, the self-penned songs, it's almost as much as, like, a soul sensibility as it is, like, hard-hitting rock and roll, and I think that's, that fusion is part of what makes it so fresh, you know? There's just a... I want to say there's a soulfulness to the rock songs, but now that I say those words, I don't know if that's actually communicating what what I'm hearing. Just like, I think it's just like a sensibility, almost just like a. I think I think you're right. I mean, I feel like the Stones and the Who have that sort of like they saw what soul singers were mm-hmm. doing, and that is they said I want to do that, but I want to bring in like. The rock band. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that what the what the Stones I think were doing with the the blues players, I hear the Who doing it more with the the soul like the heavy soul guys like like the James Brown, uh, the James Brown, <laughs> <laughs> but just uh, not so much like the twelve bars and turnarounds and like the 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 calling cards of the American blues. But like the harmonies and melodies and progressions of American Soul, only given it this undeniably British aggressive rock yeah. spin, you know. Yeah. And I I like that Reese's Cup. Yeah, <laughs> I love this. Yeah, yeah. This, this song that we're listening to right now, "The Good's Gone," I wasn't familiar with it, and now it's one of my favorite Who songs. Well, I mean, this is their debut, and it's it's quite a debut. It's a bat to the face. Yeah, absolutely. With mm. Keith Moon, I mean, they're all the best players. John Entwistle doing the his bass thing, especially mm. on My Generation, mm. where people, you know, Never. those bass runs are tasty yeah yeah other than a jazz album there's never been bass runs in a pop album up until this point yeah so he does that that stuff and they're they're experimenting with the sounds their instruments can create you know like this is this is before hendrix yeah you know like 
Like, uh, I know, like, Beatles may technically have invented feedback with I Feel Fine, intentional feedback, but here they're using it as... Another instrument. As an instrument. Uh, the, the, the ways that Townsend's playing his guitar, uh, in, just like, you know, he's got his signature Townsend way. You know, he plays those big open notes and lets him Doing kind the of windmill. ring. And then uh, there's a part in, uh, there's, a, there's a break in the first track out in the street where... Uh, uh, I think it's on the bass. I think it's Entwistle. He's got the switch like, goo, 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 goo. he like hits a note and then he's like, I don't know if he's switching between the pickups or yeah. what, but he's got like yep. a kill switch. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're not quote unquote supposed to do that during a song, but it sounds cool. And he did it, <laughs> and I'm glad he did. Yeah, they were stretching. They were kind of stretching the boundary. I had, uh, I almost. Well, I will read Mark Kemp from Rolling Stones saying that, you know, in contrast with the debut albums from the Rolling Stones, who kind of took on the Southern American rock and soul fairly earnestly, the Beatles, who spread, you know, world of rock and roll through sweet harmonies and easy digestible melodies, my generation positively shoved the boundaries of pop music. You know, it's like fiercely original and the experiments you know, would later drive, yeah, Jimi Hendrix and that sort of, like, n- noise, you know, the experimentation was mm-hmm. there with these guys. They were ripping it up mm-hmm. in these clubs. I mean, so much that, I mean, I, I, I was shocked to learn when doing research that, yeah, the feedback and the smashing of the guitars and Keith Moon, like, kicking his drums over, it was happening, like, right away. Yeah. <laughs> like, before they could even afford to replace <laughs> the guitars they were doing this i oh, thought you oh, know mate i broke my guitar i again. thought they had already had you know some singles some you know they had already gotten enough money no they were just straight ahead a fierce band to be reckoned with right Fuck away it, let's do it and be legend as, yeah. it, as it often is with this type of thing that you become known for in a stage performance the first time it happened organically sure i think that they were playing in a club that had a really low ceiling over the stage and pete townsend was doing his big like sweeping moves like with his guitar and snapped the headstock of his guitar on the ceiling was understandably pissed off and then smashed his guitar and i think keith was like well if it's that kind of party <laughs> 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 uh, um, also, I had written is this might be the first power pop record. I wrote down power pop also. Yeah, yeah. Could we could we call it like the first power pop? Unless you call one of the earlier Beatles, Beatles albums or something. Yeah, the first power pop. Yeah. This is m- more emphasis on the power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less on the pop. Yeah, no, there's still very very pop sensibilities in some of these songs. Three part harmonies and the kids are all right. Like. Uh, like really melodic uh, compositions, but for as pop sensibility as they are, you don't even hear it because there's so more fucking power. <laughs> maximum R and B, son. But maximum R and B. Those amps went up to eleven. <laughs> uh, I'd also written uh, this is the first drummer you, other than jazz, um, that mm. you you definitely watched. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you watched this drummer. There's a surprising number of songs on this album where the outro is just a drum roll over multiple drums that goes on for like a minute and a half over big open chords. Like, My Generation ends like that. 
that's the entire the entirety of the ox. Uh, and like other, there was a few other songs for like the intro, the outro, it's just like big open hits on the chords and the for like about like for a considerable portion of the song. Right. And you before know? you know what to Birch's point, you know, other than in jazz, this was not brought really into the mainstream. So it was a fresh, you know, fresh of breath or breath of fresh air. Just because we could g- g- get around debut album that I felt like was as strong because definitely not the Beatles definitely not Dylan I think I remember you feeling like that about the Stones and I did not feel like <laughs> the Stones did, did what about that. what about the birds yeah not that well then again uh, like this is no I spoke too soon it's it's a it's a lot of original, but there's a considerable amount of yeah. Soul yeah. Powers. The yeah. the one there was one problem that I had with this record, and that's um, Robert Daltrey's uh, affectation on "I'm a Man," where he changes his voice. To, I didn't to be more like a at like, the beginning like, of "I'm a Man." Oh, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no. Yeah, I, I I was cringing a little bit at the beginning of "I'm a Man." Uh, I kind of can when I when it first started out, I kind of considered it a a filler track that they didn't need to try to force their sound into. Yeah. But then, shortly after that, it kind of get it kind of opens up a bit into a bit more of like they kind of use the song as just a framework to experiment with their sound a lot. And when yeah. they got to that, I was like, oh, I I like what they're doing here. I think they could have used a different type of if if these if covering the song was just the gateway to them getting into this arena where they can experiment with their sound. I think they could have picked a different gateway. Yeah, I just felt like his his vocal delivery was why why do that? You got a good voice, like you yeah. you have a why why put this affectation intentionally on that? And that was actually left off the American uh, version. Of the album because it was uh, too sexual. <laughs> what they did they replace it with uh, circles? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> the other thing they did on the American version was I only knew, I only knew the uh, the the single of the the single release of the Kids Are All Right. I'd never heard the album, the British album track before. Uh, the American version uses the single edit, so uh, they cut out. There's. Uh, a feedback and drum roll solo <laughs> in, right before the final verse. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And it was cut for the radio edit, edit, and then thusly was also cut for American audiences. 
and I call bullshit on that. Yeah. I, we, we can, we're ready for... It's 1965. We're ready for some feedback and drum rolls. I know. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting out the cool parts. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they thought it would play better on radio. and. I understand as a radio edit because... Yeah. You know, it's a uh, you, you want you want your radio songs to be tight. It's already over three minutes. Uh, if a song's going to be a single in 1965, if you're going to cut any part of a song, it might as well be the noise, ex- the extended noise. Yeah. But f- but using an album track for the album, that's why it's called an album track. American record companies. <laughs> yeah. And I say harumph, harumph. <laughs> I did find something interesting about their first album. Or their first, you know, they got a raw deal on their their first recorded track that they did in, I think, Townshed's, like, house on just a reel-to-reel when he was 19. Uh, and so they just started giving away the albums that this record, they got a bad deal on this record label. So they just started giving these albums away. And apparently, the pirate, there were pirate radio stations in the UK. Mm-hmm. I, I did not know this. But they were like, liter- actually in the water, literally in the water broadcasting. Mm-hmm. That's so amazing to me that, you know, the BBC had their own thing, but then they had these pirate radio stations that were just in these like tugboats, just yeah, like, like broadcasting mm-hmm. around. Technically not in England. So technically not right. under their jurisdiction. <laughs> <laughs> but they, yeah, they, they started playing the who. I have a, a, in a, a soft spot uh, I like uh, intentional stuttering in songs. I think that you stutter in a song, and that's a good way to get a hit on your hands. It works for Benny and the Jets. It <laughs> works for if you look go through go through like uh, go through like top selling singles. I want to find the one that doesn't doesn't work. <laughs> oh, like the, 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 the flop, <laughs> yeah. the stutter flop. Yeah. But I think that I, I think it's a cool artistic choice. Lady and, Gaga is still doing it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> stuttering. Stuttering. It, it, it is a good way to make your song more noticeable. And I like it in my generation for, I'm going to say three reasons. The first reason being, I like the way it sounds because I like stuttering in songs. I also like that, uh, I don't know if the, I don't know if uh, Roger Daltrey would admit it or not, but I think that it was kind of, you're talking about mod culture and mod culture, at least at the time, you know, goes kind of hand in hand with amphetamine. Oh, use, yeah. Like pill popping. He'll admit it. Trust me. <laughs> but the, 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 even if even if he wasn't on amphetamines when he recorded it, he's trying to like emulate this like stuttering speedhead. Yeah. You know, it, and and if 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 British kids moms didn't get it, the kids did. They're like. I know what he's trying to do there. Yeah. And the other thing is the prolonged stutter on why don't y'all fade away. He holds that F for so long before he safely says fade away (laughs) that monocles were just falling out of eyes (laughs) because of what he could have said. That, 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 That half second between F and fade away so many people were so fixated on what he could have said then that it was such a big controversy. Like, oh my God, he could have said fuck. He didn't, yeah. you know, like, he didn't. But the fact that he 
had time to. <laughs> for the fact that the fact that he held a prolonged F for long enough to make you think this. Oh, he's he, gonna say he, he, fuck. He might say fuck. Like it, it's a good. It, it added a nice dollop of controversy onto a song, which is another good way to get a hit on your hands. Yeah, you know, it's like a it's like a safety net of controversy because you you've got the oh that's the band that almost said fuck, but at the same time. They you know the band that did say fuck. <laughs> Can we say anything better about the Who? N- no, but like uh, <laughs> solid. But like like s- s- sleep well, young listeners. This is the beginning of a long, awesome career. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no brainer. I think we all agree. It's it's got to be listened to. It's the original Who. We're going to get into different albums for sure, but my generation, the kids are all right. I mean, there's a lot of solid tracks on this album and great playing. That that to me was, that's one of the most striking things about this album is it's a debut album, but they are seasoned players. Like, they rip it. They're seasoned players, and at no note would you mistake them for being studio musicians. Yeah, hey, they're they're doing stuff that studio musicians again monocles falling out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, attempt to do the feedback and all the experimentation mm-hmm. weirdness. Yep. All right, next time we'll be talking about the Beatles Revolver. Oh, those guys. Thanks, guys.